1: Welcome to Faith Talk Atlanta On Demand. Recently, we celebrated our Pastor's Appreciation Event 2015 with special guest speaker, Brian Loritz. Introducing Pastor Brian Loritz is Crawford Loritz. Pastor Loritz is the father of Brian and the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell.
2: On February the 11th, 1973, on my 23rd birthday, my wife gave me a birthday present that keeps on giving or taking, however you want to say that. An eight-pound baby boy was born, uh, our first child, and I've not celebrated a birthday in 42 years. So uh, that young man's name is Brian Loritz. He's been a great joy to our hearts. In fact, his brother's here with him, with us, and his uh, the great the great thing that I was looking forward to today. Uh, Sorry to say this, Brian, is my grandson is here, Miles, and uh, he's the main attraction for Mimi and Papa. Um, We're just really delighted with what God has done in Brian's life. Sometimes people give you unnecessary compliments as parents. Uh, We take too much credit when they make good choices and too much blame when they make bad choices. And just grateful to God for the decisions and choices that Brian has made with his life. Uh, he uh, is a graduate of Cairn University, that's where he has his bachelor's degree from, and uh graduate of Talbot Seminary, that's where he has his master's from, he's been working on a PhD. Uh, along the way, he met uh, the joy of his life, Corey, who is my, our daughter in love, what a wonderful wife and mother she is. They have three boys, Quentin, Miles, and Jaden. Brian uh, planted about 11, 12 years ago a church in Memphis called Fellowship Memphis that God is using in very significant ways. Uh, Felt the call of God, though, last year to move from Memphis and to go to the Big Apple in New York City. So they relocated in May to New York, and he is the pastor for preaching and mission for Trinity Grace Church. It's a church that has 12 locations throughout uh, the various boroughs of of Manhattan. Uh, Brian loves the Lord with all of his heart. Um, His preaching uh, is a reflection of God's favor and anointing on his life. God is using him in very significant ways across the country and also to help influence movements that will impact our culture. He's on the board of Biola. University, I believe Pine Cove uh, as well. Uh, He started an organization called Kainos, and he's the president of Kainos. It's an organization that's committed to creating a new normal, reflecting the, the diversity that's in the body of Christ and what a significant movement that is. He's written five books. His most recent book that's in print right now is called Right Color, Wrong Culture. It's a leadership fable, an incredible book. Another one coming out here, and I guess three more coming out over the next two or three years. And uh, so it brings me great joy uh, to introduce to you our son and a servant of the Lord, Brian Loretz.
3: It is a joy to be here with you. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, your devices, as I have to say to, to the younger congregants in our various locations in Memphis, take out your cell phones, don't click on your Angry Bird apps, but meet me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. As you're na- navigating your way there, let me just uh, say thank you to Ron and uh, all those who are part of the Salem team for your uh, wonderful, kind invitation for me to come and to just serve as a cup of cold water to encourage you pastors and ministry leaders who, who gather uh, together week in and week out. I know one of the biggest struggles uh, that we can have in ministry is the struggle of discouragement. Moses got discouraged, didn't he? Just all kinds of grumbling and complaining. And um, he ended up striking the rock instead of speaking to it. And that kept him from the promised land. I want to really encourage you all this morning. I'm right there with you on the front lines to not strike the rock. I want to encourage you this morning in that way to be people who, who are patient with a friend of mine not too long ago, it's kind of funny, but it's not, but we pastors can relate to it. A, a young man um, took over this um, well-established church um, in the south, won't name the city, and we're sitting down for, uh, for lunch not long into uh, his tenure there, and uh, he'd, um, he'd, he'd been there for a couple of months, and um, youngest pastor in the history of that church, and uh, I asked him how it was going, and, uh, and he said to me, I need to be doing about ten funerals, it'll be going really well some of you know exactly know exactly what he's saying and so i just want to come and just um exhort you and encourage you this morning and i also want to say just it's a it's a great privilege for me to have my middle son with me miles he's turning 13 in a month from now and uh it's his it's his time it's his rites of passage trip he's going to be with the patriarch of the family of my dad and we're going to sit down bless and encourage him as he um jumps into manhood. You know, this whole idea of being a teenager, um, where you get a 10, 15, 40-year mulligan, that's strictly an American deal. Um, we want to encourage our young people uh, that they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today, and to take your walk seriously by faith today. And so we want to bless, bless my son on this trip that way as well. Well, let me just jump right into it. Pick me up in verse seven as I try to just encourage you, you pastors in James, James chapter five. James chapter five. James writes, Be patient, therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, illustration for patience, waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Here's that word again, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, verse 8, here it is again. think he's trying to make a point. Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now verse 9, he wants us to understand patience isn't just physical, it's attitudinal as well. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering, and here's that word again, patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain, synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen, make note of this phrase, the purpose of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, would You give us ears to hear what Your Spirit wants to say today. I pray, Lord God, that the seed of Your Word falls on good ground, that it would take root, that it would bear much fruit. Strengthen us today, Lord God. I do believe, I do agree with Ron, that there's someone or some individuals here this morning, they just feel as if they can't go on. I I pray that You would strengthen our feeble knees. Blow, precious Spirit, your wind into our sails. Reinvigorate us, I pray, to be people who are patient. So that in Lord God, that I'm available to you. Stand in my in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue. Those things you would have us know, say, and do. It is in Jesus' name I ask all of these things. Amen, and amen. One of the most irritating things that can ever happen to an oyster to get lodged within its shell, tiny particle, grain of sand. It doesn't take much; just just one little, as my old pastor used to say, teeny tiny particle of. Sand, one little grain, driving oyster nuts. Nine times out of ten, or 99 times out of a 100, this oyster is able to locate this grain of sand and to expel it, remove it from its premises, and go on about its business. But there are those rare occasions where, try as it might, this oyster cannot change its situation. It cannot remove this grain of sand. When it reaches this this situation, when it finds itself in a circumstance or a scenario that it cannot change, it will find itself concomitantly irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, and any other kind of non-redemptive aided. It's losing its mind. So now, this oyster does the only thing it can think to do to provide itself with any semblance of relief. I can't change my situation, the oyster thinks in so many terms. So let me maximize this situation. It now locates this piece of sand and it coats it over and over and over again with a liquid substance that when it solidifies, when it hardens, we pay top dollar for. It's called a pearl. You need to understand that at the end of the day, all the pearl is, is the fruit of a frustrated oyster. If there is no grains of sand, there is no pearl. God sent me down here all the way from New York City to say, I'm trying to make a pearl out of your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that you are God's workmanship. His Greek word, poiema, from which we get the English word, poem, from. You are His workmanship. And we say, glory, hallelujah, but here's our problem. We want the destination. We don't want the process. If I can mix my metaphors for just a... Few quick moments, please understand this. We do not get to God's delivery room of blessing without taking a prolonged pit stop in His waiting room called patience. There are no pearls without irritating, frustrating, exacerbating grains of sand. Some of those grains of sand go to your churches. They sit on your elder boards. Sing in your choir. God has redemptively allowed you to encounter grains of sand that try as you may. You cannot change. And He's saying, Trust me, child of God. Hold on. Your pearl is on the way. Oh, let me give you some Bible here. Come here, Joseph. We look at Joseph and we say, yes, I want his seat, second in command over Egypt. Yes, I want that. But look at the grains of sand. Lied on by his brothers, forgotten about, betrayed on by Potiphar's wife, forgotten about in jail. Grains of sand until one day God says, you're ready. Come here, Moses. Moses that legendary liberator and lawgiver, we say, we want His life. Really? Look at the grains of sand. He's in Exodus. He's a fugitive leaving for his life from Egypt. He is is fighting for his life. He ends up in Midian for 40 years in utter anonymity, shepherding sheep, wondering if God has forgotten about him. And 40 years later, God shows up in a bush that is burning, but is not being consumed. 40 years of grains of sand. Come here, David. David. Most scholars will tell us from the time David is anointed as king in 1 Samuel chapter 16 until the time he assumes the throne in 2 Samuel chapter 1, fifteen to 16 years go by. What is he doing during that time? Running for his life from a deranged king. He's dodging spears. He's feigning madness in towns like Gath. He is losing his mind as he's writing the Psalms, grains of sand, until finally God says, You're ready. Come here, Jesus. We want the victory of the empty tomb. We don't want the grains of sand of Good Friday. Come here, songwriter. Songwriter who was devastated by the grains of sand of his daughters dying in a mid-Atlantic crossing goes to meet up with his wife. And as he's on board this ship, he comes to the place where his daughters died. He peers over the bow. And later on, he would write these words. Words we sing Sunday in and Sunday out when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We would never know those words unless he encountered grains of sand. God says, Pastor, hold on. I know there's pain. I know there's frustration. I know sometimes you feel like losing your mind and wonder if you can go on. God has a word for you today. In the midst of the sand. In the midst of the tears, in the midst of the agony and the frustration, God says through his servant James, he comes right out the box by saying in verse 7, look at it with me, be patient. One of the uniquenesses of James' epistles that differentiates it from all the other epistles is James has the highest concentration of what we would call in Greek construction, imperatives. Imperatives are commands. James begins our passage with a command. James is not giving us tweetable advice for us to consider. He's not giving us sage, sound things to ponder on. James is grabbing us by the lapels, looking us in the eyes, and he is commanding us to be patient. One word in the Greek, macro. Thumos. It's from that Greek word, makrothumos, that we get our phrase, be patient. Macrothumos is a compound word. Thumos, the root, it's from that word we get the English word thermometer from. It's something that measures heat. It's oftentimes used to equate to anger. The prefix macro means to be long. So literally, makrothumos means to be long... To anger. The idea of patience, watch it now, implies that I am in a situation I do not like. It was noted scholar D.A. Carson who said in his wonderful book Scandalous... The reason why we don't pray for patience is because we are theologically sophisticated enough to realize that implicit in the very request is to ask God to put us in a situation we won't like. You don't get patience by going to Sunday school. You don't learn patience by looking at the flannel board. You don't get a degree in patience by walking through seminary. There's only one way you get patience. It is God dropping you in something you do not like. James says, I am commanding you, pastor. I am commanding you, ministry leader. Be patient. So that The anatomy of patience assumes adversity. Ever been there? Ever said to yourself, I got one nerve left. And you break dancing all over it. Ever? Ever been there? My wife and I just vacationed with a couple of the last couple of days. He just turned 40, and we've been doing life together for about 17 years. And I, I remember a couple years ago, he called me, and as soon as he called me, I could hear it in his voice that something was wrong. Well, the next several moments, he talks about how his mother has just been diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer and needs a double mastectomy. At the same time, they had found some tumors in his neck, and he had to have a delicate surgery that could impair his ability to walk. And to add insult to injury, his house was on the market and at the 11th hour, the buyer pulled out. And I could hear it in his voice. If one more thing happens." ever been there? And through it all, I don't know your situation. I don't know your scenario. I'm not making light of it. But James says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your journey, James says, be patient. Now, I love this. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, be patient, dot, dot, dot. I love this. Until, Lord have mercy, if I was in a chocolate church, we'd be shouting right now. He he says, be patient, dot, dot, dot. Until. You don't need a degree to figure this one out. The idea of the word until implies whatever it is you're going through won't last forever. Your financial difficulty has an until. Your health crisis has an until. Whatever it is you're going through. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis who said there's only two places in the universe you won't need patience. Heaven because there is no adversity. Hell because there are no exit signs. But everything in between has an until. Your situation will end. I'm not saying it will end the way you want it to end. But it will end. James says, be patient, therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now here's the question, James. What does patience look like? James now tells us, through a moving illustration, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. Very interesting. The farmer does not go to his field, cross his arms, and say, God, do something. I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. Do something. No, no, no. The farmer goes to his field and he works it. He plows and he plows and he cultivates and he sows and he weeds and he tends sun up to sundown, day after day, week after week, knowing that his labor is in vain unless God sends the rain. So that what the farmer teaches us about patience is that patience is never passive resignation. It is not folding my arms, just waiting. It is active waiting. It is me doing all that I can in the midst of my situation knowing that unless God sends the rain, my laborer is in vain. If you want an illustration of this in the Scriptures, look to Paul. Much of his letters are sent from a jail cell. We call them the prison epistles. And Paul sits down in jail. He doesn't just say, okay, God, I'm waiting. Why don't you do what you did in Acts chapter 12? Why don't you send the earthquake? Or do what you did in Philippi in Acts 16? Why don't you just... I'm waiting, God. I'm trying to sit here and wait. No. While in jail, Paul looks to the praetorian guard and says, can I have a pen and a piece of paper? While in jail, he writes and he writes and he writes letters of encouragement to people who are free. That trips me out. He writes, for example, the Philippians, while in jail, telling free people to have joy. That trips me out. Because typically it is we free people on the outside who visit the incarcerated trying to lift their spirits. But here we have in the Philippians a man incarcerated telling free people, don't cheer me up, I'm writing to encourage you. But not only does he write while he's in jail, you read these letters, he is praying. He says, I want you to know I'm praying for you in jail. Not passive resignation, not just folding his arms, waiting on God to show up. He prays, and not only that, he evangelizes. To the Philippians, he tells them, Thank you for sending the gift. Thank you for praying for me. But I want you to know, since I've been locked up, the gospel has gone forth throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. It's as if it hits Paul one day. He says, I realize I'm not going anywhere, and neither are they. We are stuck with one another. So he turns to his right and says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And to his left and says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Paul is not a picture of passive resignation. Active. Waiting. Some of you all, I say this in the most encouraging way possible. God is saying, pick up your jaw off the floor. Yes, you are in a situation you don't like, but for God's sake, make the most of it. What is patience? Patience assumes adversity. The anatomy of it. Patience is active waiting. But thirdly, patience is attitudinal. It says in verse 9, Do not grumble. James is writing to the Jewish diaspora. Jews who are scattered. And this phrase, don't grumble, takes them back to the Exodus event where their forefathers turned what was supposed to be a six-week trip into a 40-year debacle because they murmur, murmur, murmur. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Parenthetically, could it be your pit stop in your waiting room should have been long-ended, but for our attitudes? James says, don't grumble. Imperative. Why does God get upset over grumbling and complaining? Because when we grumble, when we complain, we unleash a vicious assault on His sovereignty. Grumbling and complaining postures me as God, as if I know better. God in His sovereignty, if you believe He called you to that church, He also wants to use as a means to your sanctification ornery elders and deacons. For me to grumble, for me to murmur, for me to complain about them is akin to what the Israelites said Go back to Egypt. Food was better. Instead, the antithesis is James chapter 1, verse 2. Instead of grumbling, he says, count it all joy. This is home for me. I grew up in Atlanta. Grew up in College Park and later on uh, moved on down to Fairburn. Love Atlanta. And of course, no matter where I live, Ride or die Atlanta Falcons. Dirty birds. You know, that was a tough loss for us last Thursday to the Saints, man. Part of me goes, I think I'd rather be one and five than five and one, as long as that one win came over the Saints. I just can't stand the Saints. But anyways. So I remember nineteen ninety eight. I mean, if you're a Falcons fan, we're we're acquainted with patience. Right? remember 1998, man, I was I was in California working at a church out there, pastoring out there. And um, I mean, that's that's the height for us as the Atlanta Falcons. 1998. We make to the NFC championship game. Minnesota Vikings. No one ever gave us a shot. I stood up in front of our congregation, uh, worked in the Atlanta Falcons into into my benedictory prayer. God bless the dirty birds. And lo, lo and behold, we won. James would go on to say, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And I'm talking a lot of trash, right? Jamal ended it, we're going to kill these Broncos, we're going to win, and yada, yada, yada. God in His sovereignty had other plans for us, didn't work out, uh, must have been sin in my life or whatever, but th- there it is, we, we lost 99 was a tough year for us. I don't know if you can remember it because there was high, you know, expectations for us. And I remember sitting down at BJ's on, um, on, Mon- in Monrovia there, Southern California on a Monday night. And I'm watching Jamal Anderson, our star running back. He cuts, blows out his knee. It's the end of our season. We were losing. We were tanking. People from my church are calling me a Pastor, what happened to your dirty birds? People I don't even know. Talking trash. I'm going, can we do church discipline on you? Here I am, 1999, down in the dumps in the present, grumbling, murmur, murmur, murmur. Then I had a bright idea. I needed some joy. I called NFL Films and asked NFL Films to send me the 1998 highlight reel of the Atlanta Falcons. So in 1999 when I'm frustrated in the present grumbling no joy turning the game off with 14 minutes and 12 seconds left to go in the first quarter I go downstairs pop in the video cassette I think this audience gets that right video cassette of the 1998 Atlanta Falcons and I reflect on the good old days in the past to give me some joy in the present all I'm trying to say is if you're a follower of Jesus struggling with joy in the present, you ought to have some nothing but Jesus highlight clip. You ought to be able to reflect back on His goodness, on His grace, on how He's seen you through, and allow that to uplift your spirits in the present. James says, do not grumble. Now, verse 10, he moves now and he gives us some analogies of patience. He says, when you're struggling with patience, you you need to look to a group of people. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets, the prophets, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Here to come to our little apartment there on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, little When you were to walk into Miles and Jaden's room, you'll see on the far side, opposite of their bed, some NBA posters. Basketball players. Next to Jaden's bed, on his wall, are three sheets of paper. My youngest loves basketball. One sheet of paper he's outlined the top 5 D1 schools he wants to be drafted he wants to uh, uh be enrolled in to play basketball. Next sheet of paper top 10 NBA teams he wants to be drafted by. Hawks didn't make it. Third sheet of paper he's designed his first NBA shoe. Sometimes when you walk into Jaden's room, he'll be on his bed staring at those NBA posters and allowing that to give him inspiration for what could be to dream in the present. Those posters led to him writing down goals. Those posters are influencing the way he's living now. James is saying when you find yourself hemmed in between life's rock and hard place, you've got some posters. They're the prophets. Look to them. Don't just look to your neighbor. Look to the prophets. If you want a poster for patience, look to people like Ezekiel. God shows up and says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, my people aren't getting how patient I am with them. So strip down just to your loincloth. Lay on your left side for 390 days. Don't move. Patience. Come here, Hosea. Another poster. My people don't get how patient I am with them. I mean, you think, Pastor, you've got it rough. God says, I am so patient with you. I, I, I am so patient in my covenant keeping with you. That when you are faithless, I remain faithful. This is not a quid pro quo relationship. So Hosea, go to the south side of town, marry this girl, other side of the tracks. She's going to break your heart. When she does, don't let her go. Get her back, because that's what I do with you. Patience. Then there's the Michael Jordan of patience. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Number 23. There's Job. If you thought 2008 was rough for you, had nothing on the Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 economic downturn. Loses everything. Goes to a funeral. Ten caskets. Each casket holding one of his kids. Parents aren't supposed to bury Children covered from head to toe with boils. Wife chirping in his ear. Curse God and die. And yet he says, "Shall we take good from God and not evil?" Patience. Then in Job nineteen, he blows my mind. In pain, physical, emotional. Wondering, God, where are you? In the midst of it all, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Oh, if I could just come by your house and send you a text message. Pastor, I would just tell you these words. When going through life's difficulties, always let what you know trump how you feel. Job says, I feel discouraged, but I know he lives. I feel downtrodden, but I know He lives. I feel like hanging in the towel, but I know. No, know He lives. Now He ends. Saying, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Here's that phrase. And you have seen, I'm done. Purpose of the Lord. Purpose. 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 But Job went through was not happenstance, was no surprise to God. He orchestrated it. He wrote the scripts. Your trial is not. Off the rack. It is not one size fits all. It is custom made. It is tailor made. What you're going through, the sovereign omniscient God is not taken aback by. He knew it before he ordained you would go through it. There's a purpose to it. Growing up, my mom had a annoying hobby. Cross-stitching. You know what cross-stitching entails. It just entails take, taking a piece of cloth and and weaving in and out of that cloth strands of thread. Now, I call this annoying because when I first observed my mom doing it, I'll never forget, it was her little home there in College Park, Georgia. I remember her being seated. We had these blue sofas. She would sit down and cross-stitch on this blue sofa, and I would sit at her feet. So from my perspective, from the bottom up, I don't know if you've ever watched someone cross-stitch from the bottom up. All you saw were dangling threads. No rhythm, no rhyme, no reason, no pattern. I remember thinking, Mama has lost her mind. This is a jumbled mess. This is chaos. This is confusion. It doesn't make sense. And till one day, mama said, no, 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 son. Sit down next to me. I want to show you my perspective. And I don't forget sitting down on mama's lap, no longer looking at things from the bottom up, but now seeing it from the top down. And when I saw it from the top down, I no longer saw confusion, but I saw a beautiful image taking shape. The problem with life is the problem of perspective. Our perspective is from the bottom up. And all we tend to see are dangling threads and jumbled strings and tangled messes. But God is saying, Pastor, sit down next to me. Because if you saw it from my perspective, all things work together for good. To those that love God and are called according to His purpose... If you saw it from my perspective, you would see that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What you're going through may look like a jumbled mess, but it is a beautiful image taking shape. Pastor, be patient. Doing something in your life. I want to pray. I want to pray. If you're here today and you're saying, Brian, that was a right now word for me. I don't need to put this on layaway and store it up for tomorrow. This was a word for me right now. Would you just stand to your feet? I'd I'd love to pray for you. If you're saying this is a Right now. You don't need it yesterday. Not necessarily for tomorrow. It's right now. This is where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for these my fellow co-laborers. I think maybe I'd like to believe Part of the reason why I can speak to this because it takes one to know one. God, I know what it's like—the pressure cooker of ministry, fishbowl in which we live in, being subject to everyone's running commentary, the emails and the text messages, the anonymous letters, the murmur, the grumbling, the complaining, the being fired at from people you thought. We're on the same team as you, Lord God. And on and on and on we can go. Father, some of this stuff, maybe maybe we did make poor choices. But I love what the old folks used to say. God can hit a straight lick even with a crooked stick. God, You can even take our mess-ups and our mistakes and use them in redemptive ways to work out Your beautiful, perfect plan in and through our lives. So God, I pray several things for my brothers and sisters who are standing today. One, I pray, Lord God, that they would be reminded of the reality that You are sovereign, You are all-knowing, that You see everything and that You hear same God, Lord, who peered over the balcony of heaven in the book of Exodus and saw his covenant people being abused by the Egyptians is the same God who sees us now. But in the Lord, secondly, I would pray that not only do you see, but we would be reminded of the notion that you care. You care, God. You told Moses, I've seen and I've heard the cries of my people. I I care. I'm going to do something about it. Lord, remind us of that truth. Remind us of that truth embedded in Matthew chapter 6, Lord God, where you said not a single sparrow falls to the ground without you knowing about. How much more valuable are we than they? God, you care. You care about our tears. You You care about the difficulty. You care about what's going on in our lives. You care, Lord God. You are not some callous God who delights in our pain. God, You care. And I pray, Father God, that we would be reminded of that truth. That every time the enemy would seek, Lord God, to assault us with lies, we would cling to the truth. God cares. So, Father, through it all, would You give us some joy? Pray, Lord God, that what was said in Nehemiah would be true of us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Pray, Lord God, that what James says in his epistle would be true of us, that we would learn to count it all joy, Father God. That joy, Lord God, is a fruit of the Spirit. That we would walk in the power of the Spirit. One of the manifestations of that would be this otherworldly, supernatural joy that transcends our circumstances. God, give us that, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And then finally, I pray that you'd strengthen our knees. I do believe maybe some pastor feels like it's time to quit the ministry altogether. God, strengthen. God, where there was a I quit, may there be a I refuse to give up. Strengthen, Lord God, we pray. And God, would you send some ravens to us while we're in the wilderness? Friends, phone calls, text messages, emails, letters that'll just lift up our spirits so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to encourage your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.
1: Thank you for listening to Faith Talk Atlanta on Demand. Find out more about Faith Talk Atlanta at faithtalkatlanta.com. We also have other tremendous teaching ministries, resources, sponsors, and a live show called Faith Talk Live. That shows is heard Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. on 590 WDWD and at 3 p.m. on 970 WNIV. Thanks again, and find out more at faithtalkatlanta.com.